Hey, everybody. My name is Mikey. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm also a drug addict, um, a sex addict, a uh, compulsive shopper. Um, in fact, I qualify for every 12-step fellowship with the exception of Gamblers Anonymous, but I bet you $100 that I could be if I ever won anything. <laughs> anyway, um, I have been asked to uh, run through the steps, and it's, uh, it's interesting because in secular AA, there is an aversion to the steps. Um, I know that uh, I've been an atheist all my life. I can't ever remember actually believing in God. Um, and that's a whole other separate. But I did want to mention that because God is referenced in six of the 12 steps. And uh, for someone that doesn't believe, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I remember the very first time I walked into an AA meeting, uh, I was 16, it was 1986, and I went in and there were all old people, like they were 30s or at the time or whatever it was, and I looked up at the wall and I, I saw the steps, I didn't even get to number three, I saw the capital P, and I had been in Catholic schools for uh, so long, I knew that a capital letter meant deity, and it said power, and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And it wasn't because I was defiant or I don't believe it was I, I really I never understood the God thing. So how am I going to do this? But when I went to that meeting, thankfully, it wasn't a God meeting. They talked about uh, uh, well, they were talking about things like um, their third DUI. And I didn't have a driver's license at that time yet. Uh, they were talking about their. Uh, 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 crashing cars and all this stuff. And I was like the book says a potential alcoholic. I was, I was in a, my third psychiatric unit and uh, I just went to that meeting. Anyway, I'm, got, <laughs> I'm getting off track. The point is, is that when I went to that meeting, uh, I heard them say, somebody said, and I'll never forget it. I feel alone in a crowded room and boy, my ears perked up. And I was like, what did he say? And he started talking about um, being an uh, egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And uh, he was talking about how drinking was his solution to life. And he couldn't imagine life without alcohol. And that blew my mind. I knew at that moment that these, not I didn't get this, ooh, these people understand. But I knew that I would somehow fall into this. Uh, because that was powerful. Someone, I was 16, I, it was my third suicide attempt. I drank lighter fluid. Uh, I was in there and I was desperate and nobody understood me. And that was the first time really uh, where I felt like I was understood. Um, I was in, like I said, a psych hospital and there were kids there that had tried to kill themselves. And I related to that and the depression and everything. But when he said that, I just, I just knew I was hooked. Um, I, I didn't get sober for more than three months uh, at that time, but I've been in, in and out of AA ever since. I had about, I'd say about 15 years of horrible, hideous alcohol and drug abuse. Um, and then I got to the point, and I had gotten sober through this uh, time. Um, I'm 50, I'll be 52 this year like next month. And I've got 20 years of sobriety as of February, 
but I've literally been coming to AA on and off my entire life, uh, which has been a good thing and it's been a curse. Uh, I'll tell you how it's been a, a, a good thing is that I can combat anyone coming up and saying uh, anything. I know every AA slogan, I know every AA comeback. Uh, I can quote the big book, I, 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 all of that stuff. The bad part of it though, was when I came in this last time, uh, like every time I had come in before, uh, I got big hugs and, you know, welcome, we're so glad you're here. This last time I was uh, completely strung out on meth. No one wanted to be around me. I had the homeless smell. I don't know if you've ever been around homeless people, but you know, it's not body odor. It's I've been outside for a month, not showered in the sun. And that's that smell. That's the smell I had. Uh, so I didn't get that love and stuff. But what I did get was a unbelievable uh, sense of if I don't do this this time, I am not on, not I might be dead. That would be good. Uh, I was trying to kill myself. What I was afraid of is living the rest of my life uh, in this horrible shell of a person. Uh, it was, it was terrible. And with some things that happened and I won't go into that, I got to the point where I realized that I have to do this for real this time. And the one thing I really didn't do before were the steps. Now I had done them in countless rehabs. I did them in halfway houses. I did them in rehabs. I did them psych hospitals. I did them with counselors and, and all that kind of stuff. But when it came to the God steps, I just ignored them. Uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I wrote the things, you know, like uh, what's more powerful than you? Ooh, the ocean, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. But none of that really helped. It was just kind of like a homework assignment. Uh, this time I knew I had to do something uh, real. And that meant unlearning all of the shit that I had learned before in sobriety. All of those things that I thought I knew uh, I had to get rid of. And that was difficult because I had so much AA in my head that um, I, it, it was difficult. Uh, I, I had to keep saying to myself, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, it took a while. It didn't really take until I came out as an atheist. I was nine years sober and things were good. When you stop drinking, uh, things naturally improve. You know, you get better sleep, you, uh, you feel better about yourself, you have more money, uh, uh, you get a whole host of friends when you join a fellowship. It's like, oh, this is my new friends. So I felt great, but there was something missing. And as the years went by, I got a little more miserable and a little more miserable. And then I hit something called the desert years, which is what happens to people that have long-term sobriety. Uh, they get to about seven to nine years sober and they say i've got this not that you know, oh i know everything but it's like okay i've been going to meetings every day for pff, forever i can pull back a little you know i don't have to go to a meeting every day and then it became i don't need to go to a meeting every week uh and it slowly got to the point where i kind of went out and lived my life thinking that i had all this aa knowledge that i could use i there's no you know i don't want to drink so let's go Life got so miserable for me that I came crawling back into AA uh, uh, three years later uh, because I hadn't drank, 
but I had gotten to another bottom. And uh, because of this, I uh, came out in an atheist meeting or in a in my home group. And I said, look, I have to be honest. I'm I'm still sober, but I'm miserable. And if I'm going to do this program right, I have to do these steps that everyone keeps talking about. And I have to start off saying, I don't believe in God. So I don't believe it. So there's there's that part that I am really struggling with. And everyone in that fellowship, everyone in my home group, my whole support network turned their back on me. Uh, they, they just stopped calling, stopped talking. Uh, I got the cold shoulder uh, and it happened rather quickly. It wasn't, it wasn't like they slowly, it was like I had said something so uncomfortable, like I have three tits. And everyone was just kind of like, uh, okay, and just slowly backed away from me. Uh, and that was really difficult. So I had to come up with a way, and I'm rushing through this because I want to get to the actual steps, but I had to find a way to work those steps uh, that would work for me. For, uh, step one, uh, being powerless over alcohol, got it. Totally understood. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was driving home. I had been up on a, a bender that I don't know for three days or something. And I was driving home from work and I was tired. I was miserable. I just wanted to go to bed and I was driving back and there's a, 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 a intersection and you either go right and I go home or go left and go to the liquor store. And I was driving and I said in my head, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right, as I'm going to it. And as soon as I got up to the stoplight, it turned green and I turned left. I just turned left. And then once I had made the turn, my alcoholism kicked in and said, well, since you've made the turn, you might as well go. So I drove miles to the liquor store in order to drink. I could have turned around at any time, but I truly convinced myself that because I had turned already, I might as well go get drunk. So that's being powerless over alcohol. My life was totally unmanageable and I won't go into that, but I ended up in incredibly dangerous uh, situations, crazy things that, you know, now I look back and I'm like, what was I? I mean, it's, we all know that you, you hit, get sober and you look back and like when you come in, you're like, well, it wasn't that bad. And then the more you think about it you're, and analyze it with your new mind, things get clearer and you're like, Jesus, I could have died then. And oh my God, what was I thinking? So my life was totally unmanageable. The second step was came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore us to sanity. Didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Uh, all I knew is that other people have come to that conclusion. So I skipped that one. And I started to do step three, which was define the power that's greater than myself. And, you know, people say, uh, you know, you can have anything as a higher power. You can have a doorknob. It's always a doorknob. You can have a doorknob as your higher power. And there's a joke. I had that power or I, I tried to use my higher power was a doorknob, but it turned on me. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's always something like nature or uh, nature or, you know, the power of the universe. But I didn't see how that was very helpful. Okay, there's my a power that's greater than me is the ocean. But what the fuck does that do? Who cares? Uh, that doesn't help me. Uh, all the people in AA are like, you have to plug into that power. 
And I didn't have any power to plug into. I didn't know how a doorknob was going to give me that relief. So I had to really come up with a power that was greater than myself. And the first thing that came to my head was the law. The law is a power that's greater than me. If, if I follow the law, then I probably won't get arrested. Uh, if I follow the law, um, good things can come from that. And if I surround myself with, I am someone that follows the law and then later follows the rules, I probably will do better in, that, in those situations. So that was one power that was greater than me that I could plug into, that was practical. Uh, I follow the law now. Uh, and my, my, uh, my sponsor at the time was the one that really drove it home. There's a, when you go into my uh, apartment, there's a, a complex, there's two ways to get into it. There's one that goes straight to the gate but you have to go through the do not enter thing, but it's like this far. I mean, you just kind of zip and everybody does that. Or you can go all the way around and go in through the front. And I was with my sponsor and I went through that first one. And he goes, what are you doing? And I went, what? He goes, you are not above the law. And he was kind of kidding, but he made me actually go around and go through the en regular entrance. And I have never, ever gone through that little short way again, uh, just because I really did turn my will and my life over to the care of that power. And that power at that time was the law. Um, there were other things that started popping up, but the one that uh, really got me and it serves me so well to this day is uh, the power that's greater than me that everyone has in common is Google. Google is a power that is greater than me. And if I have a problem, Google is the answer. Uh, and that sounds silly. The very first time it, uh, I practically worked that was, uh, and it wasn't Google was the power. It was, I was turning my life and my will over to the solution. And part of that solution is finding out the answer. So when I went, when I have a problem, I go to Google and it's, a, it's an actual, uh, trigger in my head. The first time I used it, um, I was a, a Disney character for 25 years and I got a job where you had to get dressed like normal job. And I would wear these uh, long sleeve shirts and I would see people roll their sleeves up and I would do that, but they would just fall down during the day. They would just, and everyone else had them on and they looked good and I couldn't roll my sleeves up. So instead of bitching about it, or just living with, I can't have rolled up sleeves, that, that trigger went off. Oh, you know, there's somewhere you can actually look that up. So I went onto Google and I typed in, keep your sleeves rolled up and a YouTube video popped up and they gave me instructions that you pull it all the way up and then roll it up and they'll stay. Now I've solved the problem. I can, I can wear shirts with that up. If I had never looked that up, that would just be one thing that frustrated me during the day. Oh, I can't get my sleeves to roll up. Now that sounds silly. Uh, it truly does. However, when my aunt died, I had a, a really hard time with it. I was very close to my aunt and I went to Google and looked up how to grieve. And I, I watched TED Talks uh, and I, I got into support groups uh, through going through the internet, going through Google, 
I, I got a resource to handle a problem I couldn't handle by myself. That to me is practical. That, and that's when the second step came in. I slowly came to believe that that power could get me through this. Uh, I, I came to believe that um, all of these problems that I had, there is a solution for it. I just have to put the effort in and, and look it up. And some sometimes it is the group. Uh, again, that's one I didn't understand when people said, just use the group as your higher power. I'm like, when I'm ready to go into a bar, what are they going to do? Uh, the, well, I'll get this into, into step seven. But that was my... Uh, uh, came to believe and then turning my will in my life over. And I really did that sincerely. I, I, I made the decision that I am going to uh, work a program um, without excuses. So um, the fourth step is uh, kind of a trip. Uh, one weird thing that happened during my fifth step, uh, well, I won't go into that. Okay, the, what, okay, the fourth step, I, I sh I'll just say you shouldn't be scared of the fourth step. If you are, what you're doing is you're thinking of your fifth step while you're writing your fourth step. There's nothing in the fourth step that you don't already know. Uh, it may be uncomfortable. I think the thing that makes everyone stop, like they get to three and then it's like, oh, you know, I have to do my fourth step. It's been two years. I know I'm going to get there sometime. Uh, it's because it's homework. Nobody likes to sit down and write shit except those weird people that journal. I don't understand that at all. Um, but there's something about it that's uncomfortable. But truly, it's, it's pretty simple. And it's laid out in the big book. I've seen better books. Uh, uh, when people start hailing the big book, I'm like, uh, and they're like, oh, this is divine word. I'm like, uh, you know that this was written when Black people couldn't drink out of white people water fountains, right? We've learned a lot of stuff since the 30s. Uh, Jeffrey Munn's book, uh, uh, the uh, um, Working the Steps Without God, is a wonderful reference. But all I had at the time was the big book. And in the big book, it basically just says, make a list out of people you have resentments of, which is easy. I just went down a list. And then what they did, doo -doo -doo -doo, and then the hard part, what my part was. And I'll tell you how uh, that, and this goes into the fifth step, um, I had a situation happen that uh, I brought to my sponsor and he taught me a lesson that I will never forget and that I use to this day. And it has to do with the power of the fifth step. However, I wasn't officially doing the fifth step. What happened was at work, when I was at Disney, you have your costume in a giant black bag when you're transferring it from one place to the, to the next. So I had this bag with this costume in it and I had to, I would just finished a parade and I had to switch into another costume in order to do sets later out in the park. So I go to co um, costuming and I put the bag down and I open it up or no, I put, I put the bag down. Then I turned it upside down and just dumped it all on the floor because all I needed to do was sort it and then go get new shoes. So I had all my clothes around on the floor. I go to get my shoe shells. I come back and the wardrobe lady flipped out on me. She's like, you can't just come in here and throw your shit down anywhere. And we've been cleaning. I mean, really got on to me. And I was like, fuck you, bitch. I don't, I don't need this crap from you. And we got into this like screaming match, not screaming match, but I, I did not like this woman. Uh, so I'm telling my sponsor this story and I'm like, can you believe the end? I mean, she treated me with just such disrespect and blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, I want you to tell me that same story only 
as if you were her. And I was like, okay, well, um, I came into, and he's like, no, 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 you're her. What were you doing right before Mikey walked in? And I kind of got into the role play thing. And I'm like, well, I was, uh, you know, doing my job cleaning and, and stuff. And then what happened? Well, uh, I came in. No, Mikey came in. Okay, Mikey came in and he dumped his stuff all over the floor and walked away. And something in my brain went, eh. it, it just, I, it was like I, my brain turned a corner and I all of a sudden saw myself walking into the do-do-do like a big shot, dumping my crap out on the floor and just walking away. And I'm thinking, I've been sitting here cleaning this place and doing my job. And this guy comes in and just dumps his shit and walks away. What the hell is that? I started getting mad at me. I, I, I was like, what, what was I thinking? It completely changed my perspective. And that's what it says in the fourth and fifth step is that you have to look at things from an entirely different angle. And that was my first practical experience with that. Now, when I did my fifth step, um, my sponsor relapsed actually during my fifth step. Uh, he, we did it over Christmas and it took several days to get through it just because the way we did it. And we stopped right before my sex inventory. And he, uh, we were just gonna stop for the holiday. He went out and relapsed. So I had to get a new sponsor to do my sex inventory. And it was not the same kind of sponsor. The sponsor I had was like all loving and wonderful and gay and knew everything. My next sponsor was not. And when I would start going to my fifth step, he's like, ooh, why would you do that? No, 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 go. No, next one, next one. Uh, so it was a little different. But when I was doing my fifth step with Kenny, um, he didn't know and didn't want to know the backstory of anything. He just wanted to know what it was that happened briefly and where I went wrong. And it's easy when you have the backstory to focus on you reacting to something. But when he doesn't want to know what I was reacting to, it's difficult because he kept saying you were a dick in that. And I'm like, yeah, but if you understood, he's like, no, 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 no. Look at this from their perspective. You were a dick. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that they did. And uh, sometimes it's important to let victims be victims. I have learned that sponsoring other people. Sometimes it's, it's important to let people uh, and acknowledge that shitty things happen to us and people really do do bad things to us. But when it comes to the resentment, resent, resentment, uh, the way it was explained to me that made sense was um, a resentment is refeeling something. So let's say I get fired and this actually happened. I get fired. I come home and I'm just miserable, miserable, miserable. Everything's horrible. But then six months later, if I'm still thinking about that and being all angry and miserable, that shit isn't happening at that time. What I'm doing is remembering something and feeling all that anger again. And if you don't, if I don't get rid of that resentment uh, or become okay with it, then uh, I'm just refeeling the same crap that goes over. This last time that a guy fired, and I've been fired from every job I've ever had, um, I came home and I was real upset. I didn't think it was fair, but I put the keys up on the little holder and I had a pretty good night because I kept saying or realizing that I wasn't being fired at that moment. And this gets more into step 11, but uh, 
the good thing about the fifth step is that uh, you get to see it through someone else's eyes. And when it comes to those resentments, when I look at my part in that resentment and acknowledge that what they did was wrong, but the reason I keep refeeling it is because of blank, the resentment dissipates. So while if someone says, you know, write a list of resentments, I, I still write, you know, getting fired. That was, but it's not like I still have the resentment and anger. All I have is the, um, the memories because I've, I've kind of worked through it. Anyway, uh, step six, um, let's see, uh, uh, made a search and feelings inventory of yourself. Uh, oh, uh, turn, or uh, this, that's the seventh step. What's the sixth step? Uh, it's the most important step is six and seven. And I can't remember the six steps. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, six is uh, looking at character defects. Seven is asking him to remove our shortcomings. So I understand step six, um, which is made a list of all our shortcomings, you know, all the, all the sins, which is what they really meant in that when they were writing that was your sins. I understood that. And the way my sponsor had me work that was if something caused you uh, grief, if something causes you to be uneasy and upset, look at the character defect that is driving that. Uh, usually it's ego, uh, dishonesty. Um, it's some kind of uh, uh, thing that drives those problems. Um, not getting my way is a big one. Um, being impatient is another one that, uh, you know, constantly when I get really upset, a lot of times it's because I'm just not willing to wait. Um, so that's, and, and they make me, he says, okay, well, look at that character defect throughout the week. Look for times that you're dishonest. Look for times that you're impatient. And what I realized is that I could see a pattern happening. When, when I would get upset and I would look at it from, is this me being impatient? All of a sudden shit came up and I'm like, God, I do that a lot. Step seven, when it says humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, uh, because to me that translates uh, uh, asking Google to fix my shortcomings, um, it, it becomes much easier. And what I do for the next week is the opposite usually of what it is that I'm upset. Uh, for example, patience. Uh, my sponsor made me drive behind buses. I don't know if anyone's ever had to do that. You want to learn patience? Drive behind a bus. Uh, at first I had to do it you know, as an exercise, but then I had to do it when I had to get places. So I would learn to leave more time. Uh, I would learn things like, okay, there's nothing I can do about this and this is for good. Um, that kind of solves those problems in a weird way, but patience is not an issue with me very much nowadays. And again, don't think that you're gonna get this uh, quickly. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And every day I'm slowly getting better, but then I go back and then I have the ego to fight with and all this kind of stuff. But the more I practice it, the more it becomes a part of me and I change. Um, and that's one thing that I wanna say, uh, if you were to take the time factor away and look at me from the day I walked in or even like with two or three years, look at that Mikey and then 
compare it with me today, I wouldn't want to be near that Mikey because, okay, there's, this is going to piss people off, but there's a phrase that you may have hear, heard in the rooms, especially if you've ever been to traditional AA, that they say, my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk. Uh-oh. What's that? Oh, cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> my, uh, my worst day sober is better than my best day drunk. Um, I understand what that means. And it doesn't mean that I didn't have good times when I was, can you move that? That's annoying here. Let me just pull that. Okay, there. Um, the, uh, the thing about that is um, I understand what they mean. Yes, I had really good times in when I was drunk. And yes, I had really shitty times when I've been sober. But as it is today, no matter how good or fun a time I was having when I was drunk, it was the old me that was drunk. It was the old me that were having those experiences. I was still lonely. I was still uh, powerless over alcohol. I was still, uh, my life was completely unmanageable. And even though I was having fun, and I was, there was a lot of times that I was having fun, uh, I was that person. And that person is not who I am today. And there is, I don't care what experience that I had, and there's a lot I could mention, I don't care if I ever hear, if I never had that, if I had to be me, I would much rather be having a shitty day as me now, being able to get over that and being able to cope with those things than anything that I ever used to be before. And that's through working a program. It doesn't have to be the steps. Uh, what worked for me might kill you. Uh, and that's something that uh, I've learned in AA is that there is no one way to get sober. Sober looks different to every single person. Uh, it, it's, it's what worked for me that is important. Um, okay, where, where am I? Okay, um, so it's all about change. When we get to the eighth step, uh, made a list of the people we had harmed, became willing to amends, make amends to them all. Um, it's definitely easy for me to write down who pissed me off uh, and then make amends to those people. It's more difficult to realize where I did wrong and make amends for that. And I'll give you an example. I was talking to my sponsor and we were working through some resentment and I was having trouble coming up with new resentments. I mean, I had been at this for a while and I had, I had written and written and written. We'd gone over a zillion. And he's like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about uh, places that you were wrong where you didn't think you were wrong. And I'm like, well, you know, if there's a resentment, I had a reason. He says, I'm not talking about resentments. Let's look at this. You were an active alcoholic for a very long time. How many people that could have been good friends to you did you ignore because getting drunk was more important? And boy, that hit me because there were a lot of people that I really, really liked and that really liked me, but I would ghost them because I had more important things to do than hang out with somebody I liked, I had to get my drunk on. And I started thinking of those people and how I treated those people. And I started looking at amends differently. Um, the, the thing with amends, if I do something that is wrong or causes harm, there's a difference between apologizing for it and doing something for about it. 
making amends to me, the way it was uh, described to me is that amending something is making it right. Uh, and I'm not talking about the little definition if those are pedantic people, but when, if I break someone's mailbox, let's say I'm drunk and I run over someone's mailbox. Well, six years later, when I'm doing my eighth step or ninth step, I come back to uh, that person and say, hey, I'm the guy that, uh, you know, screwed your mailbox six years ago. I'm sorry. And the guy is most likely going to say, oh, you know, that's okay. You know, it happens. But as soon as he shut that door, he's like, that asshole. Uh, I, you know, that, that mailbox cost me 120 bucks to, to fix. My job is to say, hey, I am uh, the guy that broke your mailbox. How much did it cost for you to replace it? Oh, no, no, that's okay. Seriously, how much did it cost to replace it? And I make the amend so that if I ever see this guy in the grocery store, I am fine with not turning down the aisle because I don't want to run into him. That is uh, the beauty of making a true amend versus apologizing for, for it. A lot of times uh, I'll, I used to say, oh, you know, I would go and have this resentment and People would say, oh, as long as you're staying sober, don't worry about it. But then I had someone come to me and make an amend, a, a person I just did not like because of this, uh, his harm. And when he came to me just to get him out of the house, I was like, don't worry about it. As long as you're sober, that's good enough. But when he left, I was like, you know, he could have done a lot more than just came and said, I'm sorry for really fucking you over. That's what I try to think of when I'm making amends. Even today, how can I make this right? It's not about apologizing. And making it right means that I'm, I'm okay eye to eye with that person. Um, that to me is true uh, making amends. And to go back to step eight, making those lists of people we had harmed does not mean uh, reacting to resentments. It doesn't mean that I have to go through uh, and, and fix things that were uncomfortable. It means where did I do wrong and how can I make that right? When people say, you know, uh, uh, except when to do so would injure them or others, there's, a, there's times, for example, if you uh, cheat on your spouse, bringing that up would cause harm. Um, but I do something. Uh, else to, to make it right with that situation. There are times when bringing it up would be difficult, but there's also times where I say, oh, it would hurt me if I brought this up, or it would hurt me if I make this amend. And I have to avoid that kind of thinking because that's the kind of manipulation I do that makes my car turn left instead of right. Um, that kind of thinking where I, I don't really wanna pay this amends, uh, because I need the money. So, and that would hurt me and it would hurt my family because I didn't have the money. So therefore I'm not going to make an amend to that person. That does not wash with me. Uh, and the way I get that is through the fifth step, telling my sponsor about it and my sponsor saying, and you'll learn real quick not to tell your sponsor uh, anything because you know what they're going to make you do, but don't listen to that part. Um, telling someone else about the uh, wrong that you've had um, gives a different perspective uh, when it comes to making the amend. Anyway, um, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about when it came to uh, making amends. I'll get back to it and I'm sure I'll remember it. Anyway, uh, moving on to step 10. 
uh, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Sometimes I think it's, uh, uh, and when we did wrong, promptly apologized for it. That's not what it says. Uh, again, it says, uh, it's about admitting it. And that doesn't necessarily mean admitting to the person that you were wrong, that you wronged. What it means is admitting to myself, okay, that was a dick move. Okay, that is selfishness that caused that to happen. I'm, I did wrong and, it's, and this is where it was. And sometimes it's shit that I, I really wanna keep doing like sleeping with other people's spouse. I used to love to do that. I, it was a challenge to me. Um, that was a behavior that I wanted to keep up because that part was fun. Uh, I don't do that anymore, uh, thank goodness. Um, but it was difficult to look at the selfishness and the dishonesty of that. And my rationalization is, well, there, you know, it takes two to tango, but uh, looking at my part and admitting it is admitting it to myself um, and to another person uh, that uh, helps. And let me just talk about step five again. Uh, talking to another person really works. And I'll, I'll give you an example of how it really works. Um, if something happens to me, a really crappy thing, like someone cuts me off in the middle of the road and shoots a bird at me and, and all this kind of stuff. If I have all that pent up and I dump it on someone. This is what happened. I kind of am okay with it. The second time uh, I meet someone and I tell them what happened, this happened. And blah, blah, blah. It's a little less. And finally, like later down the road, like two days later, when I'm explaining this, I'm like, oh yeah, he cut me off and everything like that. But the anger is gone. And that's from dumping it. That's from getting it out there, which is why it's important in meetings to show your shit sometime. I don't care what the topic is. Sometimes for my own sobriety, I need to dump things so that I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, and that's, there's power in that. That's, that's, there's true power in that. Anyway, continue to take personal inventory uh, means that this program does not end when you finish step 12. Uh, the, I think the important thing is to, um, and, and this comes back to the power greater than myself, my greater power, um, When I, when I think of uh, uh, made a personal inventory, one of the uh, things that my power greater than myself is uh, are ethics. Um, I wrote down a list when I was doing my seventh step or sixth step of what the ethic is behind those uh, defects. And for example, the, the spiritual quote, principle behind the first step is honesty. And if I turn my will in my life over to honesty, then things like deception, things like sleeping with other people's spouses uh, is more difficult. It's harder to justify. And if I align myself with those principles or ethics, then I turn out to be a better person. And like I said, it doesn't happen immediately, but over time, I start to see things change. Um, uh, so ethics is one of those powers that's greater than myself. And it really is about, uh, when I'm taking personal inventory, I do one of those checks, one of those, uh, it's like the, uh, engine light, the dummy light that comes on whenever I feel some kind of problem that dummy light comes on and bing, and then I have to do that spot check. 
okay, what is this? And sometimes I don't want to do it. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes I'm like, you know, whatever. But that check engine light comes on and that's step 10. I have to take inventory. And if I can do something about it, do it. Um, I got into the trap where I was doing that for a while, but then I'm like, hey, I've worked all 12 steps. I'm sponsoring people. I'm sober for a long time. I don't need to you know, concern myself with doing that to every single thing. But when I stop doing that stuff, uh, slowly those things start to creep back in because I believe that uh, while this is cunning, baffling, and powerful, it's also patient. I can't tell you how many uh, people have relapsed at 17, 20, you know, 30 years. They go back out and you're like, how could, you know, all that sobriety time they gave up. It wasn't that they gave up. It's that they just let their guard down for a while. They still have all the things that they learned in sobriety. They have all of those tools still. Just because you relapse doesn't mean you have to start over. That's one thing that keeps people from coming back is the stupid chip system and the, the uh, you know, oh, I got to pick up a chip. I only have one day now. I had 20 and I felt superior. That shit is bullshit. If we're working a day at a time, it shouldn't matter. Anyway, that's a rant. Um, step 11 uh, is, um, about prayer and meditation. Now, when I heard that, all I heard was prayer and meditation, uh, which to me was pray, uh, you know, uh, how, uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with Jesus. Uh, that's how I saw that step. Then someone pointed out, you know, it is prayer and meditation. Maybe I should focus on the meditation part. And that was, I think, an accident of, of the program that, unfor that fortunately uh, bears fruit, I guess. Um, I don't think Bill meant sit on a rock and uh, you know, think of your breathing or, or get in the moment. I think he was prayer and meditation as in you pray and meditate when you're in church. However, because that little loophole is in there, I focused on meditation. And if you take anything from this talk, it is meditation. Meditation has transformed my entire life. When you hear those promises, uh, the way we look at life changes, um, this meditation was how it happened. When they talk about being rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence, meditation is how that happened. The reason is that I found that that fourth dimension of existence is the dimension that I'm in. Uh, and I won't go into the process, uh, but I will say meditation is about becoming aware of the present moment. And that sounds kind of, you know, woo-woo, foofy, but there's a scientific practical reason for doing it. I live mostly in my head. And if you've ever done meditation, you will find that your brain thinks on its own. It doesn't need my help to do it because I will sit there and try to focus on my breath and I'm breathing and I'm breathing. And then what seems like forever, all of a sudden I'm in Publix doing my shopping or I'm thinking about those shoes that I need to fix or I'm thinking, I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. My whole point of meditation is to breathe and focus on my breath, but my brain goes on its own. It just starts going um, to be able to recognize when that's happening, let it go and then concentrate on the moment. Like I was saying before about getting fired, I'm not getting fired right now. That happened this afternoon. I'm not getting fired or I'm not getting cheated on in this moment. 
right now, the temperature is pretty cool in here. I'm comfortable. I know that I'm safe. Uh, and really, I don't have much to worry about other than talking to you. Being able to stay in that moment is a superpower. And I promise you, this is another thing that does not happen all at once. But when it happens, you look back and go, wow, things have definitely changed. Uh, they say when you look at things differently, the things you look at change. Uh, the problems I used to have are just not problems. Uh, they're, and that sounds so disgustingly foofy. A lot of shit that I say now is it just sounds so unrealistic and bullshitty because if, if you're just getting over drinking and all of a sudden I'm here telling you, oh, if you work the steps, your life will be fabulous and things will change. That's not how it works. It takes a lot of practice. But I have got to the point where staying sober uh, and working a program really does change. It changed my life. Um, lastly, I'll get, because I know I'm running over here. Lastly, I will get to the 12th step. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Practice these principles is the key to all of this. And uh, it's practice. In fact, my whole life or my whole program can be summed up by taking words out of the 10th, 11th, and 12th steps. Continue to improve and practice. Continue to improve and practice. Practice, if I, if I sit down at the keyboard and I'm learning to type, I have to hit ASDF, ASDF, over and over again, ASDF, ASDF. I have to learn where D is. And the way I learn it is by hitting F instead. The way I learn where D is, is by hitting E instead. I have to make those mistakes. If I don't make mistakes, I won't learn the correct way to do it. That is how life is. And if I have this uh, uh, great tool and it doesn't work the first time, I can't give up on the tool. Um, I, I just can't. Uh, and this is my ADD going. Um, one of the things that I had to unlearn was the whole concept of take what you like and leave the rest. Uh, when I when I came into uh, recovery, that was like a mantra: take what you like and leave the rest. Which to me meant take the things that are fun or cool or okay, and the shit that you don't want to do, leave that stuff. That's not important. What that means is take what you like and leave the rest. It's buffet style recovery. I have to try everything on the menu before I know what I like and I don't like. Uh, and I have to try it twice. I'll try anything twice because the first time may not taste good. The first time you might not like it. The first time you had coffee, the first time I had a drink, I didn't like it. I was like, this is disgusting. It's, Ooh, that's not so bad. The, uh, so you keep trying. And I found that my sponsor would make me do things that didn't work uh, for the sake of doing things that didn't work. And I find that some things still don't work, but I did find a lot of things that did work. Um, so practice, I think, is the most important thing of the 12 step. However, and I'll close on this, I would not be who I am today if people did not break the way ahead of me. There are people that have changed my life that I will never see again that I will never experience again. Uh, and I feel that I have a duty, an obligation to 
give others what was so freely given to me. Um, and truly, uh, that is 100% the essence of being excited about being service, doing service, is that I know that I would not be not just alive, I would not be who I am if it weren't for other people. And when I see a newcomer walk through that door, I don't care how many people want to know where I'm going to eat that night. I don't care how many wonderful friends I have to talk to. I go to that fucking newcomer and I, I don't attack them. I used to attack them. I go, oh my God, there's a meeting. Here's a meeting. But I acknowledge them in the room. When they come back, I try to remember their name. Uh, when when there is something I think of others rather than myself, and that is something we learn in kindergarten, but they don't teach anymore, or they don't teach it past kindergarten, uh, that needs to come up in every single high school, college course. You have to keep saying you need to do shit. Um, anyway, that is my uh, walk through the steps. Again, what works for me might kill you. So don't think that any of this is things that you have to do or is the right answer. Um, I just will tell you that my life has completely changed because of it. So thanks for letting me share.